Welcome, I'm Ryan Hicks, and this is Modern Business, the podcast to learn from franchise business leaders and explore new business technology. Our community is about sharing knowledge and tools that help us achieve our goals in business and beyond. Thanks for being here, and welcome to Modern Business. Welcome back, everybody, to Modern Business Podcast. Uh, Looking forward to another fantastic episode, as always. Uh, I am coming to you live from Chicago. Very, very excited to be heading out to IFE as of uh, this recording. It's uh, May 31st, so it is uh, the IFE, which we have the first week of June every year. Going back to my old stomping grounds and looking forward to seeing all of you that will be there. Of course, by the time that you were listening to this podcast, that will probably be two to three weeks behind us, uh, and we will probably be getting to the next conference I will hopefully be seeing you all at. If you haven't done so, uh, please go to fcxc.com. It is the Franchise Customer Experience Conference down in Atlanta uh, that Franchise Update and IFA are coming together to do uh, for the very first time. Uh, For those who haven't heard of that, I've been talking about it on the podcast quite a bit in the past couple months. Uh, and I really hope to see you all there. Uh, it is definitely really new, and I've been trying my best to spread the word in any way that I can. Ryan and I will be down there, uh, and there will be a drink waiting for you at the bar if you would like one. Uh, additionally, and lastly, uh, the hard to believe, but the next conference after that will be Springboard, uh, a conference that I would say uh, is my favorite, but of course I am biased. Uh, it is September 28th to September 30th uh, in beautiful Philadelphia. Uh, So for those who have not been before, it is the largest emerging brands conference in the space. Uh, This next this next lovely lady that we are going to be having on has had her team come many a time. And I look forward to hopefully seeing them again. Um, But uh, we really hope to see you all as well. It's typically about 600 people. uh, And we will not, of course, be constricted by some of the pandemic era restrictions that we have had the past uh, year or so. So really looking forward to that. Uh, and if you have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out to me at zfish at fishmanpr.com or feel free to reach out to the Springboard team as well. So as it relates to the actual interview that we have today, um, it is a brand that I have actually had the pleasure of trying before, which is always nice to give me a little bit of context. Uh, they, are, they are quite a cult classic that is really starting to spread their wings across the rest of the U.S., but obviously had their humble beginnings down in Florida. So I'm really, really excited to have on the Executive Vice President of Operations for Jeremiah's. Uh, I have on Nicole DiPietro with us. Nicole, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, we know that, you know, we I, I know Jeremy very well, your founder, um, and CEO, but um, I would love if you wouldn't mind if you could do your own telling of the founding story just to give people some context into what Jeremiah's is all about. Absolutely. Jeremiah's was started 26 years ago in Winter Park, Florida by Jeremy Litwack. And Jeremy was um, had had the idea to put Italian ice on the map. He is from the Northeast. So primarily um, Philly, um, Jersey area. And he had been selling Italian ice in front of the Philadelphia Mint on a push cart and decided that he wanted to create this market for Italian ice. Fell in love with it and he, he was really good at it. And he decided that he wanted to take it, take it elsewhere. So, you know, not knowing anyone, he basically got in his car and drove down to Florida primarily because of the seasonality in Florida, the, the hot climate to be able to sell Italian ice all year round. And he picked a spot in Winter Park, Florida, and pretty much the rest is history. Created um, one location, a drive-through location, 
and he always talks about how he didn't really have all of the skills of marketing and all of the things that we have at our fingertips today. So his mom would go, you know, round and round the drive through to make it look hmm. like there were customers. And um, after, shortly thereafter, a few years later, came, um, opened a second location and then a third and then a fourth. And um, fast forward to about 20 years later, he ended up with um, 22 corporate locations and a desire to grow the brand into a national brand. And we started to franchise. So that in a nutshell kind of sums up the uh, Jeremiah's journey from the founder's perspective. I love it. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the brand in particular, because I think that um, this story is, is, is good too. So we'd obviously love to hear um, how you got involved as well. Absolutely. So I am a, a Jeremiah's Italian Ice customer first and foremost. So having um, been in, in the Central Florida area for the past 26 years, it's kind of a brand that, that I grew up on as well. I have been in the hospitality space for 95% of my career starting at age 13. And when I relocated to the Central Florida area to attend the University of Central Florida, I helped to grow a different brand, which happened to be a burrito joint in the, in the Florida area. And our burrito joint was actually next to one of the um, first Jeremiah's. So I was a customer and I had crossed paths with Jeremy many times over the years. Our, our story of the, the company that I worked for was very similar to the story of Jeremiah's Italian Ice. So even a, a couple of times during my tenure at that brand, I had met with Jeremy because he wanted to talk to one of the owners and talk about expansion and what, what our plans were, you know, just kind of see if he was along the same lines or if there was, you know, some opportunities for that synergy. And so I had known of Jeremiah's as a customer, and then I had the opportunity of meeting Jeremy, not really knowing that our paths would cross further um, down the road. Shortly after I, um, I ended my tenure with, with the brand, and when I resigned, I had a little bit of health challenges and needed to kind of pivot. So I, I ended up opening my own small consulting firm to help businesses that wanted to grow since I had a, a great experience with the brand that started from one unit. And when, when I resigned, we had 130 and I had handled the transaction to sell the company to an M, um, to private equity firm. And so I had a lot of experience along the ways of how to put certain things in place at different levels um, to be able to scale and grow a business into a regional brand and into a national brand. And so I wanted to do that again. I fell in love with it. It was something I was very passionate about. And I felt like I was poised and had a a specific skill set that gave me the opportunity to be able to do that and to know what pieces needed needed to be put in place. And so I had gotten in touch with Jeremy again. This was back in 2015. And we decided to do a consulting agreement together. And so he really wanted, he knew that he wanted to grow and expand, um, but didn't really have the infrastructure in place. So I came on board to help facilitate that growth. And at first it was five additional company owned stores. So we immediately started strategizing, put, put a plan together to open five company owned stores. And then we would come back and kind of touch base on our strategy and our plan throughout um, different um, intervals of time. And then we decided that um, he wanted to start franchising. So that required a different level of, um, of strategy and vision, primarily stemming from the fact that we had a commissary that produced the ice and delivered it to all the company-owned stores. So to be able to demonstrate that we could stand that Florida line, we needed to know that we could have self-contained units. So we started to shift the strategy 
to be sure that we were able to produce the ice in-house and then kind of come up with a with a strategy of how we would be able to scale the business from being a company-owned um, company to being a franchise operations company. And so it's it's kind of crazy to say because I was just looking at looking at something the other day, and I've been there already for almost six years, and we've accomplished so much in the past six years. So it's been an exciting and remarkable journey that I'm really proud to be a part of of the brand to be able to tell it. I love it. Quite a story. And obviously, I think that it, you know, all, all your experience that you had across the many stops certainly has played a role in, you know, getting Jeremiah's to the point that it's at today. And I think that especially in a space, as you mentioned, in, in the founding story part of part of this, you know, Italian ice isn't exactly something that people outside of the Northeast really know a ton about. I think it's something mm -hmm. it's, it's approachable to understand once you eat it, but it's hard to put into context when you've never really laid eyes on it before. So, you know, I, I guess I'm curious, obviously there is, you know, the, the thousand pound gorilla in the room um, being that Rita's is such a large, um, it, it's, it's such a large presence in the Northeast, but obviously they don't have the presence that you guys do everywhere else. Uh, and so would kind of love to hear about how you guys are differentiating from Rita's and the other competitors in the space. And it's not just about Italian ice, it's about really any cold snack. So just kind of curious to hear how you guys are doing that. Yes, absolutely. So there, there are many brands that are in the um, frozen dessert space, and the largest in the Italian ice space is Rita's. Um, you are correct. And what I like to say really sets us apart from not only a, a company like Rita's or other direct competitors, whether it be, you know, ice cream or any frozen dessert or even dessert in general, because we're not a meal part. I feel like at Jeremiah's, we're trying to create an experience for the guests. Mm -hmm. And with, with creating an experience, you have to have um, a focus on culture. So not only are we serving in a, in a delicious, indulgent treat, it's the way in which we deliver that experience that really sets us apart from the competition and really keeps giving guests a reason to come back. And I think that that's also something that we're really proud of because I think in this time, this day and age, connection, I feel like, is more important than really than ever. And so many of us, when we're, when we're consumers first, we're, we, we want everything right now. We start to lose patience. We want to be able to get in and out quickly. So our, our goal is to be able to bridge the gap between um, technology and the, and the ability to create connection with our guests. And how I know that it, it works is because every single time we have, when, we, when we're interviewing potential candidates to be a franchise owner or even potential candidates for store management or any of the positions that we, um, that we have available, it comes up in conversation. And it's usually, there's some sort of, there's something that connects them to Jeremiah's and it's, it's not always the product. So that's the way that we feel that we are really differentiating ourselves from the competition is by, by really remaining diligent about being a people first company. And what that means is when we put people first, it's not just our employees, it's our guests, it's our vendors, it's our communities. And so that's a big part and a big draw for people for wanting to be a part of the brand. Yeah, no, I, I think that's really interesting because it really does lead me to my next question. It's almost as if I did not give these questions to her beforehand, folks. But I think that that's especially <laughs> cool uh, that she actually led me right here. And I think that, you know, the people conversation and the culture conversation has really been 
a hot button issue as it relates to what's going on with the you know employment and it's hit the food and beverage space especially hard as we know that might change because you know we uh, many experts believe that a recession is coming and that may that always helps the food and beverage space uh, as it relates to getting employees back into the locations again but you know that's where we are right now you know it has been a been a struggle for quite a while now. So I'm curious to hear, you know, using that culture that you guys are building to really differentiate from others, talk to me a bit about some of the cool things you guys have done to keep employees excited uh, to come to work every day, because I think that that's just been, it's been a struggle throughout the entire space, but some people, some brands are doing some really cool things. Yes, definitely. And this was something that we really had to stop and take a look at ourselves and the way that we were running our business to be able to adapt to the times because you have, we have what I call what was a recipe for success. But what I'm, what I'm constantly stressing is that looks different at, at different intervals in your business life cycle. So what worked for us when we had 25 locations, you know, may not work for us when we have 50 and 75 and 100 and so on and so forth. So with the challenges that came with the pandemic, I like to try to see things as an opportunity as opposed to, um, you know, a, a challenge. So an obstacle. So any obstacle that comes our way, we always try to look at it with a fresh lens and say, okay, so here's our, here's the goal. Now, how are we going to solve for it? So something that was very strong in our company to begin with was the, was the culture. Our employees wanted to be there. They wanted to be working there. They felt that they were a part of something a little bigger than themselves. And that quickly started to change when, when the pandemic hit because of the fear that comes from, you know, we employ, we, we like to be the um, employee's first job opportunity. So a lot of times we have first time, first time workers, first time in the job space. So with, with the pandemic and a lot of the parents didn't want their kids to be working or whatever the case may be, we had to really go back to the drawing board to see what's important to our demographic. And that was a huge learning experience for myself, especially, but I think for our entire team, because some of the things that we thought were important to our employees were not. And there were other things that were a lot more important. So I think the, the bottom line is we had to get really clear about what our generation employee sees as a benefit. And so we put a lot of really cool things in place to try to meet people where they are. Um, and, and things that I'm referring to is we created a culture committee. So the culture committee is um, comprised of, you know, our server level, our shift lead and our lead servers, our managers to really have um, boots on the ground of what, what does, what does, what do your peers want? What do they want in a job? What do they view as a benefit? Because sometimes you have benefits in place, whether that be, health insurance or paid time off. And sometimes they don't view those things necessarily as benefits. So you have to get creative with what, how you want to craft your organization to, to create a perceived benefit versus an, what they think is an actual benefit. So that was one of the things that we did. We created um, the Frog Fund, which is a scholarship fund. So we, are, we know that the majority of our, of our squad members are either in high school approaching college or in college approaching their, their next step. So to be able to offer opportunities for a scholarship um, for tuition and, and reimbursement, I think that was something that I think is pretty cool. And I know a lot of other employers do that as well, but it's awesome to see the, the response that we get. Um, we also tried to, one of our core values is being generous, and we tried to allow the employees, our squad members, to choose 
issues or organizations that are near and dear to their hearts to to create our spirit nights and our give back events because it, it gives them a huge sense of belonging. And what I've learned a lot, um, we employ 93% of our squad specifically is Gen Z. And Gen Z is very passionate about um, issues that are that are close to them, that they want to make an impact on the world. And so there's little things that you can do, I feel like, as an organization to to allow your employees to express their individuality and also feel like they're doing something beyond just serving ice cream with a smile. So those are just a handful of things. We also give um, we give our store managers uh, an employee morale budget every month. Um, this has paid consistent dividends for me. It's it's a, it's a small amount, $150 a month, but I know a lot of other business organizations will not invest that that money at all in right back in their squads. And so we allow the manager to use the discernment on how they're going to engage their squad members. They can use it on if they want to do a contest and give gift cards for the winners, if they want to do a team outing, if they want to um, just recognize someone, or even sometimes they'll even donate part of the money to organizations, just however they feel is going to work best for their squad. So I think it's also empowering your teams within teams to allow them the the autonomy to make some decisions for how they think they can set apart their culture from, from the, from the competition. No, I like that. And I really appreciate you kind of going through that because it is just helpful to understand some of the great things you guys are doing. And I like the team morale budget. I like, obviously, you're right. Some employers are doing and putting money towards college, but I think that you guys have a very particular, you know, type of employee. You know, I think that not everybody has to deal with the amount of Gen Zs that you guys have to deal with. So I think that um, it is important to kind of have that different perspective. And, you know, we're still learning a lot about that generation and what it means for them to actually work as they become, as they start to graduate from college in, in larger numbers. Um, but it is just interesting to kind of hear what you guys are, are, are up to. And I know that in that, um, in that, you know, explanation that you just had, you know, you mentioned a couple things in there. And I think that what's really interesting is, is that, you know, because you guys are employing Gen Z and they're in, they're readily available and you want them to be the first, you want it to be the first job they ever have is at Jeremiah's. I think that that allows you guys to not necessarily have the same employment issues that others might uh, just because of that, because there are a lot of people that want experience that have never had experience before. So I'm sure that that, as you guys are really growing, and you guys are really in quite a growth trajectory uh, as we speak. Um, talk to me a bit about what is going on as it relates to franchise development, and you know, you know, some of the some of the new some of the new deals you guys may have coming across, or something of that nature. New states you guys are getting into uh, that are that are really exciting at the moment. Sure, and actually, I think I can even tie into you know part of our part of our culture and part of our um, employee tenure that leads to part of our franchise development because um, some of our new new developments that we've made recently is one of our one of our employees that started as a server and then you know as a shift lead and then as a manager and then um, now he has um, opened his very first store which actually opens today in Houston Texas and he's going to be the area developer I mean this is a young 25 year old um, employee that we've had that was just on fire for the brand and wanted to put himself in positions to do anything he possibly can to to further his his Jeremiah's experience into business ownership. So I think it's a true testament to the culture because I, I believe now we have five employees that have now gone on to franchise ownership in different markets. 
and um, and even our operations team have grown through the field, which I think is is huge when you're when you're looking to create a culture with opportunity and with growth and with people. It does fold into the development, and it's also I feel like it's also a great it's a great recruitment story because if if you're looking for a franchise opportunity. And, and you're thinking about how others will have gone before you to actually be successful in that endeavor. We're, it's so awesome to be able to, to have them speak to our, our employees that were, that are now business owners and can tell you firsthand what the experience is like. Um, we have, we're, our focus is primarily, um, centered in the um, Southeast United States. We really want to master that, um, this part of the country first. Again, it lends to our seasonality. So the states that we're in are really kind of similar in climate, although we have um, we have gotten to some of the, the cooler and colder temperatures. But we so far things have been um, have been awesome, and we've seen great results as um, as we continue to expand different state lines. Um, we have let's see, today we have 86 locations, I believe, in total that are open. Um, majority of those being franchised and we're in seven states. So we have further development this year that's going to take us a little bit west. So Las Vegas is going to be um, one of the locations that we're wow. going to be opening in Colorado. Um, we're going to try those test markets out there. But we, we're just really filling out the growth of um, of the states that we're currently in and really trying to fill in those markets. Again, we're we have a lot of we're starting to see presence in markets like in Houston, in the in the greater Dallas area, and little suburbs of Dallas. So Texas is starting to fill out. Arizona is starting to fill out. Um, the the greater Atlanta area is starting to to fill out. And so North Carolina, all of those markets that we're we have um, sold locations in are now starting to open. And so we're we're constantly monitoring those um, those specific locations and continuing on our growth trajectory for the Southeast. I love it. Well, that's very exciting that you guys are getting into Las Vegas. I, I go there quite a bit for work, as I'm sure you'd imagine. So I think that that will mm -hmm. always be nice, that there will be one close by, I hope. So that's very, mm -hmm. very exciting. Uh, obviously, the the uh, I, I would say the climate certainly does play a role in that. It's, it is just unbelievably hot there all the time. So that definitely does check out. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. And, you know, I think that what obviously ties into a lot of this is just the fact that you guys are able to really stay nimble as a company that definitely had that, you know, that, that had a pretty decent scale as it relates to corporate stores. That is always an advantage to have 22 corporate stores before getting into franchising. Cause you, you've really seen it all uh, before that, you know, I, I'm curious because I think that the people play a role in that growth, but also there's the ability to have quite a tech stack that, that does too. I know that, you know, you do play a large role in this side of the business. Talk to me a bit about some of the ways that you guys are trying to gain an edge from a technology perspective. So I think that this is something that's extremely important because, as I mentioned earlier, when you're trying to bridge the gap between connection and experience, you also have to be mindful of the consumer and their um, what their appetite for for waiting is and how they want to be how they want their product um, delivered to them. 
and delivered, meaning whether that be in a kiosk that they can go to, if it's something quick, if it's, you know, online ordering. So some of the things that we did, which many other businesses did, is we did adopt the online ordering platform, the third party. And I will go on record saying I was a naysayer about it because something I always said, who's going to spend this amount of money to have ice cream delivered to them? Well, apparently a lot of people, and especially now <laughs> post-pandemic, Again, we want things, we, 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 we have an element of um, convenience that comes up for us and we all have very busy lives and we want, we want things that are convenient. And so now with the, with the increase in technology, with being able to have Amazon Prime, with being able to have Uber come and pick you up, all of the different things that are at your fingertips, I feel like businesses have to be able to adapt to be able to stay relevant in the marketplace. And I think that's extremely important, especially as we we see the rise in inflation. We see the rise in just about everything. You know, with us not being a meal, we are, we're a date, we're, we're not a day part. So it's like everything that, every customer that we, we get, we have to own. So we have to, again, not only just meet our employees where they are, but we have to meet our guests where they are as well. So we're working on a lot of different things, whether it's um, improving throughput in our drive through to exploring some different menu options to also looking at potential kiosks in the future. And, and none of these things have been finalized yet, but they are things that we're working on. And I think that we have to stay, we have to stay on top of the innovative curve again to, to, to remain relevant, but also like I mentioned before, it's important for us to still bridge the gap between the connection piece because we're although there is a huge population that wants it right now and that wants to have the convenience of it, there's also a huge uh, percentage of the population that does want to come and stay a while. So we're trying to find that balance of how to be able to create an experience, but also create it um, quickly if 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 that's what if that's what the guest is looking for, and to be able to um, to remain 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 relevant during during these interesting times so the, I, I do think that the experience piece like we always Jeremy's goal for this is he always wants it to be like a hangout for um, you know after school for the high school kids and they would come after the games and, and come or if it's with um, you know a customer coming with their grandparents for family day or a date night or whatever the case may be we never want to lose that so constantly looking at the layouts of our stores and where we can, where um, where we're able to have a Jeremiah's Italian Ice to be present in the community, but also having that element of what's quick. Could we have a separate line that's just for online orders pickups? Could we have some, you know, a line for people that don't really want to hear about how the menu is explained, or they may not want a sample. So we're exploring a lot of different options for this, um, and there's a lot of great stuff out there right now. So we're just we're just vetting vetting options, and then also trying to ensure with the with the increase of really everything from construction to build out for the store to remain um, diligent about being able to return a healthy ROI. Yeah, and I think you talked about a lot of things in there that I think I want to touch on. And I think that the first one obviously being, you know, the inflation piece. And I think that a lot of restaurants are kind of dealing with that at the current moment. You're looking at the gas pump, obviously, it's incredibly expensive. It's kind of insane. Um, and you're kind of looking at food costs and food shortages and things of that nature that you guys have to deal with. You know, how are you guys overcoming that? I think that what a lot of what I've heard when I'm in when I'm talking to people is that menu innovation has been a really interesting way to actually kind of create some buzz around the fact that you may be light on some other things to kind of take away the idea of some of the 
more common items that might be missing. They're taking things and they're, they're, they're taking ingredients and they're finding new ways to use them. Has that been something that you guys have been dealing with? I know that there are, it's not a meal part, so it is a little bit different, but I'd imagine that there have been some fruits that have probably, um, that have, that have potentially had some shortages here and there or have gotten way more expensive. Uh, how have you guys kind of gotten around that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it is, we are in a unique spot because we only really serve two things. And I think what we really try to play up is the possibilities of the different flavor combinations that you can get at a Jeremiah's Italian Ice and how we've been able to um, kind of innovate our menu just without overcomplicating it because we do speak about potentially adding complementary items that may not necessarily be with a flavor or they may be a different product that we would complement with well with our with our frozen dessert. But in the short term, what we've done is we found that our layer-ins, which are, you know, probably toppings to everyone else, we call them layer-ins, we can create a whole new secret menu or a whole new um, a whole new line of different flavor options with just adding things like our cookie butter crumbles. So we had a pie series that went out. So anything that had like that cookie butter crumble when you layered it, you, you know, you could get banana cream pie, you could get um, pumpkin pie, you could get you know, lemon, lemon cream or lemon meringue pie, things like that. So we try to keep it simple. If we're able to increase top line sales and profitability, that's the goal and to retain staff because that's something that's extremely important to us because we know the pressures that the franchisees are having to be able to retain staff. So we kind of have some guardrails on if it doesn't help increase sales and profitability and retain the staff, then we try not to do it. And that is one of the beauty, um, one of the, the great points of having a corporate uh, store location base to, to fully flush out and vet things through. Because we know that if we're not able to handle it, where we have a ton of support and I have a whole infrastructure team that to be able to do things, then a single unit franchisee is going to struggle with these things. And as you mentioned, supply chain has been extremely challenging. And so we're seeing every single day, sometimes we're, we don't have the ability to get our cup or to get our lid or to get certain items that are in, um, you know, that are, that are needed to create either these flavors or different things. So we have to be mindful of that as well. So for us, it's a combination of trying to innovate with new flavors and new options and, and being in constant communication with our, um, with our franchise system letting them know and and sometimes that's multiple times a day because i'm sure hmm. you've probably heard like anything from supply chain we can even roll out an lto and think that everything's going great and then find out the day of we're not receiving any of the items to do it so we're we're trying to be very mindful of that and then also from an inflationary standpoint i mean we have to really be cautious and um and conscious of the fact that we're not a day part and so as as um, inflation and, and, and prices increase, discretionary income decreases. So if you've got to cut something out as a consumer, we don't want it to be us. So we have mm-hmm. to give people reasons to come back and we have to keep a price point that is mindful of that. And so a lot of times immediately, um, some sometimes franchisees or people in the system say, oh my gosh, we have to raise prices. Everything everything is costing more. The one thing that I'm I'm still pretty proud of from our system is that our food costs and our operating margins, like our food costs is extremely low in comparison to a food service um, company in our industry. 
And so with that, we have a little bit more room. It's definitely don't want to, you know, rust your laurels on the fact that we still have a low food cost, even though costs are increasing every single day of literally every single thing. But it gives us the ability to be able to focus on what I think is more important, and that's building top line sales. So building top line sales, getting product in people's hands and, and having them experience Jeremiah's firsthand will give them a reason to come back. So it's kind of a combination of all things. It's little bit of menu innovation, keeping it new, keeping it fresh, exciting, and cool. Um, and then also being mindful of the ability to be able to get things that we think are cool. So from the supply chain standpoint, and then also being able to execute something very simply. So we don't want to create, do things or create things that are going to require a new training process or require um, additional communication because sometimes the communication that you have with your core employees you don't have the opportunity to to spend that kind of time to teach them something completely new. So we're 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 always balancing that innovation with execution. I love that. I think that that's and and it and again, you're leading me to another question that I think I really wanted to get into a little bit. And I think it's the last piece. And you mentioned it briefly, you know, as it relates to just innovations generally and how you guys are dealing with supply chain. And I think that you're keeping all of that in mind when you're potentially looking at new ways to, you know, to present the brand. And that doesn't necessarily mean packaging. I think it's just more in terms of the way that the brand is being presented as it relates to real estate build outs and things of that nature as consumer taste changes and as the market environment changes, have you guys experimented at all with, you know, maybe it's non-traditional or maybe it's something, or, or maybe you're doing a combination or adding complementary items, as you mentioned, I think it's more non-traditional more than anything. Cause I see that as being such a big opportunity. Have you guys gotten into that world at all yet? Or have you, or are you looking to explore that? Yes, and um, that's a great question. So I think another another positive um, of of being a part of the Jeremiah system is that there are a lot of different options that we are considering um, exploring, and one of is one of which is the non traditional. So we've got we've got a format for potential kiosks. We've got a format for some food halls. Um, the the location that's opening in Colorado is a food hall. We have um, a mini food hall in Riverview. Tampa, Florida area, and we also have a food hall in um, Columbus, Georgia. So we're trying a lot of different things to help mitigate the risk, especially in in in, um, in demographics that you know potentially could have the seasonality a little bit a little bit stronger than what we've experienced in Florida. So we're willing to look at from that perspective, and also um, exploring different options from potentially a co-branding or a co-development um, standpoint. Um, we don't have any brands that we're currently working with right now, but there are a few that we have um, thought of that would be good uh, complement to to our brand, and that could help mitigate the the real estate risk and um, and just sharing different spaces, things of that nature. So we are open to exploring those different different possibilities um, that help to keep the the brand fresh and nimble, and to be able to respond to different um, market challenges, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I like the, I love the, you guys for non-traditional. I think it makes all the sense in the world to be able to get into food halls and potentially college campuses and maybe at some point mm -hmm. airports. Cause I know that that's obviously quite difficult. Um, but you know, the people that you guys have behind you as it relates to franchise development, know a thing or two about non-traditional and what, what to really do as it relates to that. So I think that that is exciting, uh, you know, as things kind of come down the pipe, but um, 
I think, and I think last question here, Nicole, because I know that obviously um, you are a busy woman. I wanted to just ask, you know, in closing, are you guys any major things that we missed as it relates to goals for the rest of the year or going into 2023? Um, I think we did. We did touch on quite a bit, at least at the, the top surface level of, of different things that we're working on and that are going to help carry us in our growth um, trajectory. But one thing I am excited about is we will hit 100 units this year. So that's going to be something really exciting. It'll probably be in the September time period. And I think that that, that says a lot about um, the staying power of the brand. And it's also going to give us some opportunities to make sure we have all the right processes in place to support the system at this level and um, at the levels to come. I'm very excited for that as well. That is quite a milestone. And as, you, as I know you know, not many brands make it to that point. So mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly exciting to see that. And obviously I, I, I have the pleasure of knowing your team quite well. And so I'm really looking forward to that hundredth location and, you know, the celebrations that will ensue, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. And we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Excellent. Well, folks, if you'd like to listen to more episodes like this, please go to Modern Business. That's M-O-D-R-N Business, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, thanks again to Nicole from Jeremiah's for coming on the show today. If you and, and again, if anybody has any questions about Springboard, I cannot say this enough. Please go to FranchiseSpringboard.com or um, feel free to go to any of our emails you guys already have because we say them a million times on the show. Thanks again, everybody, and have a wonderful rest of your week.